Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by my colleague, Dr. Lou Bockenheimer, who heads up our solution architecture team at Blue Prism. Lou and I will be discussing the era of autonomous automation. Lou, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Brad. My pleasure. Very happy to be here. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do at Blue Prism? Sure. So uh, my name's Lou Bockenheimer, as Brad said, and I lead the Solution Architect team. Uh, what that means is my team is responsible for working with our Technology Alliance partners, as well as Blue Prism native technology, to create solutions that solve real problems to bring to market. Awesome. Okay, so Lou, let me uh, get us started here. In, in terms of the evolution of RPA, most people would say that we're in the age of intelligent automation. How many organizations who have embraced automation are truly doing intelligent automation, in your opinion? I mean, that is, they're connecting their digital workforce to AI skills so they can do more complex work. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So this is an interesting question because it kind of de depends on how you're defining AI skills. Not all that many customers, I'll be honest, are using AI to the extent that they would like or that they probably could be doing. But some AI components, especially if you're thinking NLP or OCR, IDP, those are being used fairly regularly. They kind of go hand in hand with automation. Okay. If you look beyond intelligent automation, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what's next? What's the next phase look like? In our viewpoint, we talk a lot about autonomous automation. Can you describe this for us? I mean, what, what does that really mean, autonomous automation? Yeah. First, I want to take a step back, though. And when we think about this as being the next phase, I would almost argue that this is the phase that should come before intelligent automation. If you think about the automation process going into an organization, we define it as having three different waves. And in the first wave, that's when you're really worried about efficiency and optimizing your COE, being able to get those automations out the door. In the second wave, you start worrying about intelligent automation and connecting your digital workers to different AI or different connectivity capabilities. And that third wave is where we want to be. That's the digital transformation capabilities. Really transforming your business, getting to that point where you have a significant portion of your workforce being digital workers instead of carbon workers. Where we are, if we look at that first phase, we, would, we want to take that from a manual process into an autonomous process, which you know kind of makes sense being an automation-focused company. We see this, though, as having three major categories. The first one being discover because you need to figure out what to automate. The second one, 
being describe, where you actually build out those automations, and the third being deliver, where you provide those automations to the enterprise. And in each one of those categories, you're going to see subcategories, right? Subcomponents. So for example, when you're looking at being able to dis uh, discover what processes to use, that's a complicated piece right there. You're going to bring in multiple technologies. Typically, an organization would start with process mining or server-side analytics to look at logs to be able to figure out where exactly they want to set up automations. Once they have that, they'll move into task mining or desktop analytics where they can figure out every single click that would be required, get that really granular level of detail that you need to build out an automation and produce a PDD. Once you have that done, then it's time to do an assessment and take all the different tasks and processes that you've identified and triage them to see which makes sense to automate and which you want to get out the door first. From there, you can move into the deliver component where you want to be able to automate that build, ideally by connecting directly to the models created from the task mining. And you want to automate testing so that best practices are maintained and the automations you're bringing out the door are all going to work and you don't need to spend time downstream going through and debugging. Finally, when you're in the deliver component, you want to be able to not just manage your digital workers, because any workforce needs management. You want to make sure that you're assigning work to the right number of employees to make sure you're hitting SLAs, for example. But you also want to make sure that you're having governance throughout this entire process and using different technologies to make that as streamlined as possible. I know I just talked at you for a while there, Brad, but does that kind of <laughs> answer your question around <laughs> what autonomous automation is? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like from your viewpoint, the the end-to-end automation cycle has a lot of steps and components to it, but there, there appears to be a lot of ways to potentially, you know, automate or accelerate uh, each of those, each of those steps so that in, in the end, the cycle itself is automated. Is that a, is that a good way to exactly. summarize it? The real goal, the vision here is a world where you don't need humans involved in this first step of creating automations where you have an enterprise that's being mined intelligently through a data-driven model and the automations are just built and put into production and run and managed all automatically so imagine a world where you're at work you're doing a process as soon as enough employees start doing something it becomes repetitive it's automatically taken off and off of your plate and assigned to a digital employee now, don't get me wrong, this is still step one, because once you have that, once you can automate all the work the same way people are doing it, then it's time to start rethinking that work, because frankly, digital workers, robots, they don't need to do things the same way people do, and that's probably not the most efficient method. Hmm. But as a first step, automating that is how you can achieve real scale. Gotcha, gotcha. So, Lou, are are there when you think about the automation lifecycle that you walked us through a second ago, are there one or two like specific areas in the lifecycle that you could you think could benefit the most through automation? Absolutely. And here I'm going to talk about what 
bottlenecks we've seen at our customers and what pieces of this pipeline they're bringing in first. So I would say the two most commonly requested components uh, are going to be around discovery, so specifically mining, and automated testing. This is because it doesn't matter how good your COE is at building automations if you don't know what to automate in the first place. And going through doing a whiteboarding type approach, trying to figure out what to automate is a lengthy manual process. And that's going to always build up bottlenecks right at the beginning of your pipeline. So having the data-driven approach provided by a combination of process and task mining is most definitely a key component. The other area we see customers most excited about is the automated testing, because once you get these pieces out, oftentimes it takes just as long to do testing as it does to build it in the first place, especially if you're looking at a democratized uh, development cycle where you're maybe using citizen developers or people who aren't as familiar with Blue Prism or RPA, they're just getting into it. Being able to automate a best practice review for every single process that's being created, it's invaluable because you make sure that everything going out the door is at a consistent standard for best practices. Hmm. Interesting. So what about on the flip side, what steps in the automation lifecycle do you think will, will always um, more than likely involve you know human inter intervention no matter how automated the rest of it becomes yeah so this is where we get to that next phase if we think about autonomous automation starting from mining it can do a great job automating what people are doing but again as you start to really scale out that's going to be a limit because of two main factors first as i mentioned before the way people do work is not going to be the most efficient method for a digital worker to do work. And you're going to need to figure out what those differences are, be able to set up that next step, next evolution of the automation. And second, there are a lot of use cases out there that aren't cost effective to have a human being doing them. I mean, I think of a lot of the stuff I do with automations and it never makes sense to hire an additional person to do it. But if you have the digital workers working for pennies on the dollar, there are use cases that pop up. These are things that you can't get through mining because there currently aren't any human beings doing it. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Lou, one thing you sometimes hear about, and I've certainly seen people from Blue Prism and other companies talking about it, is this idea of, of self-healing robots or self-learning robots. And, and you kind of hinted at this earlier when you, you said, you know, the goal is to remove as much human involvement, you know, upfront as possible. Um, but what do those terms mean exactly? Can you, can you give uh, a little bit more clarification on those? I think that would be good because those, those do come up a lot when people talk about this, this area of autonomous automation. Absolutely. And I would say that they're almost different topics, the self-healing versus self-learning. You have to realize that one of the other differences between carbon workers or humans and digital workers 
is digital workers have a log of absolutely everything they do, which is great for compliance, but also means that you can see what's going wrong or what needs to be improved. So this could be a number of different capabilities. Ideally, you would want machine learning or AI looking at those logs and being able to adjust the exception handling to improve the process on the fly so that if something goes wrong once, it doesn't continue to go wrong. The way I see most of it standing now is looking at those logs and presenting it in an easy fashion for a human to look at. So for example, within Blue Prism, we have a tool called PMI that will overlay in the process studio statistics on which paths are being taken and how much time things are taking. So this gives you a very visual look in the actual flowchart diagram for you to help optimize those processes for the future. Okay. So Lou, why is autonomous automation important or necessary? I mean, why, why should we be excited about it? And why should companies aim to achieve it? I think this is the real crux. The reason companies should be excited about it is because it's all about revenue. Your employees right now spend a lot of time doing non-revenue generating work. And if you can send all that work to a digital worker, those employees are freed to focus on revenue generation. And that's not just your front office employees, that's also your employees who are in an automation COE. A lot of what they're doing isn't generating revenue, it's helping in other areas of the business. If you can automate that and get other automations out faster, you're freeing up more people who can provide more revenue and make the company more money. It really comes down to being that simple. Okay. Do you also think that for some of our customers that are more mature, that have not just 10 or 20 or 50 digital workers, but maybe three to four to 500 digital workers, for companies like that, that, that really see this you know, multiplying in the, in the near term, is autonomous automation really critical for them uh, to be able to get to that scale? I mean, they've already achieved quite a bit, but if they want to go even further, is, is this, uh, this capability going to be essential to them? Absolutely. Even our largest customers aren't hitting the level we expect automation to get to. We expect to eventually have digital workers be a full third of an enterprise's workforce. And to get to that level, there's no way you're going to be able to be building out all these automations by hand. We have some customers who are very mature and can put out a new process every month, some of them every week, and they're flying out the door, but it's still a lot slower than if you could click a button and have all of them come out at once. Very good. So Lou, what is Blue Prism's approach to achieving autonomous automation, making that possible for our customers? Well, we are doing a combination approach, combining our Blue Prism native technologies with some best of breed partners. So in the beginning, if you're looking at the mining category, Blue Prism has no intention of building out that capability. There are spectacular partners out there. It is a very mature industry. 
So we will be working with those partners, such as like Abby uh, with their Timeline product or Salonis, Fortress IQ, Signavio. It doesn't make sense to try and reinvent the wheel. Now, once you have the mining done, you can import it into the Blue Prism process assessment tool or use a native tool from a partner. For example, a lot of the task mining capabilities have those tools built in. Next, when you bring it in, you have more options. When you want to actually get it into the Blue Prism Studio, you have the option of taking a purely Blue Prism native approach, which would be to take each one of the PDDs generated by the task mining and then go through, record it with your capture technology, bring it into Wireframer, optimize the best practices, and export it into the Blue Prism Studio. It will still be a lot faster than doing it by hand, but we're still looking at a manual process there. Ideally, we want to use some other partners we have to take that data directly from the task mining, the models they're creating, and import it into the Blue Prism Studio as something that can run. Now, be completely honest with you, getting it in as something that can run without any adjustment we're not quite there yet, neither are any of our partners, but that is the holy grail that we're aiming towards, and I'd be very surprised if we don't hit that within the next year. Once that's done, you need to go through the testing again, and here Blue Prism goes again to our partners. Preferably, we would point you towards either Reveal Group with their robo-review or Binary Way with CodeIQ, both spectacular capabilities for doing this testing and really setting up your automation lifecycle as part of a CICD pipeline. Once we bring it into the management phase, we again have options. For Blue Prism Native, we do have IATA to help manage and govern your systems. But if you're looking at the partner community, we have partners such as Invoke Aria or RPA Supervisor that can do a really spectacular job as well. Finally, looking at governance, from the Blue Prism Native side, we do have technologies such as uh, Hub or Blue Prism ALM. And this is all just part of the Blue Prism platform. There are, of course, some very mature technology partners we have, such as Shibumi or RoboManager, that can do an excellent job here as well, making sure that everything is governed and that the ROM, which is the real key point that you need to make take into account whenever you're building out any automation, you can make sure that that ROM is followed and streamlined. So Lou, I want to just ask you to revisit this this whole concept of you know best of breed versus build it build it all yourself. That seems to be a hot topic these days, and and as you know, um, other providers in the market you know are are going in quite the opposite direction that we are. So so why why is best of breed for us in the intelligent automation space the the optimal approach? Well, Brad, there are advantages to each approach. Obviously, if you're building it yourself, then you have the option to sell it all as one package, and it kind of streamlines things for a customer. The downside is you're never going to have the best technology. And if we're looking at something this important, this business critical as a third of a workforce, I think you really need to have the best technology out there. So what Blue Prism has chosen to do is focus on our strengths and our main bread and butter, which is the RPA platform, and partner with 
uh, the best-of-breed technologies that are already mature in these spaces. Frankly, if we started trying to create a mining solution, we would never be able to catch up, because by the time we finished getting to where the technologies are now, they would have advanced. And it's just a waste of time, a waste of money. We can just partner with them. Now, we do need to still make sure that when we're going to our customers, we can make it as easy for them as possible, which is why what we're trying to do is take an approach of combining OEMs and part third-party resells so that our customers can still buy it all on a single contract, still have that ease, but have the choice and capabilities of using what really is the best option out there. It would seem then that our ecosystem of intelligent automation partners plays a, a really important role in the era of autonomous automation. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I would say that it's almost impossible to build out these solutions without our technology partners. And that's not just for autonomous automation. It's not just intelligent automation. It's every type of automation. It doesn't make sense to try and be a one-stop shop. That's honestly the reason my entire team exists, because we need to take these different technologies and put them together to build something. And that's just kind of a fact of life for the way we live today. It's not just RPA. Look at your car. How many different factories built the different parts that go in there? You go to the suppliers, get all those parts, and bring it together as a single solution. Lou, I've got one final question for you. And you hinted at this a little earlier. You, you mentioned that digital workers unto themselves can get to a place where they can automate what's happening today. They're not terribly good at you know, redesigning a process uh, to be done in a more optimal way. Based on that, can you expand on the importance of, you know, companies reimagining or redesigning work before they hand it off to the digital workers? I mean, this that's an important thing, I think, even today in intelligent automation. But as we move toward autonomous automation, it's going to be even more important. So can you just expand on that as we wrap up today? Absolutely. And I think this is a really great question because it highlights the differences between the way humans work and the way digital workers work. So being able to bring work and tasks into an automated platform in the same way people do it is a great start. And it's a heck of a lot better than nothing, right? But we need to understand that that is the first step and that we need to improve and reimagine and redesign as we go forward to make it optimized for the digital workers. So the example I'll use here is a contact center. If you think about how a human employee works, imagine a call center agent is on the phone, someone calls in and asks to change their address. Now that contact center agent is probably going to have to log in to several disparate systems, maybe a database, a mainframe, a CRM, and change the address in each one of those. So if we were to have a digital worker do it the same way the human worker did, it would open up the first system, change the address, going open up the second system, change the address, then open up the third system, change the address, and then go back. This will still help that contact center agent, because he can now click a button and the digital worker goes and does it. 
it will speed things up for sure, it'll improve accuracy, and it'll let him focus on talking to the customer rather than sitting there and you're not hearing, you know, clacking on the keyboard while he just sits there and types. But that's still a first step. With a little bit of reimagining, you can think of that instead the way we're doing it with a bunch of our customers, which is when that call center agent clicks that button, instead of having one digital worker go off and do it the same way he did, a swarm of digital workers gets kicked off because computers can work in parallel. So there'll be one computer uh, having a digital worker that goes into the mainframe, while at the same time another one's going into the CRM. At the same time, another's going into a into the database, and another's just using an API call to go into a different system. Sometimes we're seeing up to 27 digital workers being kicked off at once, and since they're all working in parallel, you get a spectacular improvement in efficiency and average handle time, which is the number one metric in a contact center. So by reimagining the way this work is done, you're allowed to get, or capable of getting, really incredible results that you could never get otherwise. Does that make sense? It does. It's a great way to wrap this up as well, uh, Lou. So thank you so much for your input. And I think uh, it's safe to say we have a lot of great things to come in the age of autonomous automation. Thank you again. Thanks, Brad. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.